Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, welcome to OCC. My name's Scott. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the pastors here. And before we begin, I'm going to pray. Lord, we just ask you for your help this morning, Lord. We pray that this message um, makes sense, that we can really hear from your word. And specifically today, Lord, we're going to hear from from you, specifically Jesus, um, on a very real um, coaching that you have for your people and your churches, Lord. So may we receive it well, Lord, and um, may we change in response to it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Today we're launching a brand new four-week message series called Happy Never After. And during this message series, you're actually going to have a chance to hear from some of our level four and five Antioch Project students. And Antioch Project is essentially a five-year ministry training program offered by our network, the 17.6 Network. And this program is really intended um, to train men and women who believe God is calling them to vocational ministry. And students in this program can actually earn a master's degree. Um, it's a master's of divinity from an accredited, and it's actually accredited by the Associate of Theological Schools. So this program really combines classroom training, personal study, hands-on uh, ministry training, and then coaching as well. And myself, as well as two other men, um, will be preaching throughout this series, and we're all level four and five students. And so enjoy that, and um, and we really hope that um, this will be an enjoyable process to you. So back to our series, Happy Never After. I'm going to start with a quick story. Um, several years ago, I actually started my own window cleaning business, my wife and I. And I had worked for a window cleaner for about seven years at that point, had a pretty good understanding of how the business works and actually how to grow a window cleaning business. And so I put together my business plan and I actually spent a lot of time learning how to do this, focusing on it, you know, investigating the market, really understanding what can I predict for growth for my business. And I came up with a really good plan. In fact, the first four years, I mean, it was as if I had prophetic powers and could predict the future. It it happened almost as uh, almost perfectly to what I had predicted. And then something changed. In 2008 and 2009, we had a housing crisis and the economy definitely tanked. And after that, once it finally hit my business, I probably lost between 60 or 70 percent of my business and even more so over the coming years. My happy ever after didn't come for my business. And we often do this a lot. We have a picture perfect image that we keep in our mind of how our life is going to turn out. And in many cases, it never seems to quite come together in the way that we would imagine. Now, for some of you, you may be glad that your image of life didn't work out the way you imagined. Maybe it's better. In fact, for me, for my business, I'm glad I don't own a window cleaning business now. God had a different plan for me. But for some of you, this has really caused a great deal of pain and regret and sorrow to the point that you actually start to ask yourself, and I think many of us can ask ourselves this question from time to time, why does life never seem to work out? You know, can I even trust that good will ever come again? Is this really what God had in mind? And the fact is that these past two years has had an undeniable impact on people and churches, leaving many in a vulnerable spot 
to respond with an approach or an attitude towards life that can actually lead us to make decisions that can disrupt our lives even more when, than just the unmet expectations. So, I mean, look at the last year. We've had a global pandemic over the last couple of years that has had an extraordinary and far-reaching um, impact in the several areas of our personal, national, even global lives. And at the same time, our country is more divided than I can actually ever remember. Um, apparently, there seems to be a mental health crisis in teens and young college students going on in our country right now. And finances are just really unpredictable. I mean, have you checked your stocks lately? Have you been to the gas pumps in the past few days? Um, we also have war in Ukraine right now, which who knows where that's going to go. And then do you remember murder hornets? <laughs> I mean, it's it's been a lot. In general, as the global church and even as individuals, it has been very difficult to stave off discouragement and maintain focus on the mission God has had for us. So before I continue, I think it's actually important to point something out. If you are here this morning or if you're listening um, and you have not yet decided to commit your life to Jesus through faith, you're going to get you're going to be able to observe kind of what I call like a family talk from Jesus. Um, or maybe it's actually better stated as a coaching huddle um, from him to his troops. And my hope is that we you'll be able to gain an inside look into what is valuable valuable to God, and actually what he really cares for with his people. Uh, now, I also think, with all that said, I actually think you also gained some valuable lessons on how life works as well. So for this series, we're actually going to look at the second and third chapter of the book of Revelation, which is at the very end of the Bible. When these chapters were written, John, who was the last remaining apostle, was living out the rest of his life, you know, breaking and hauling rocks on a prison colony on the island of Patmos, which is which is right off the coast of what we call modern-day Turkey. He had been banished there because it was illegal to share the gospel. And what happened is, is Jesus had come to John in a vision, and in this vision, he gave John some very specific coaching instructions for seven churches that existed in Asia Minor at the time. Again, that's modern-day Turkey. Now, these were contemporary churches at that time with real people, real leaders that existed not far from where John was actually living at the time. In fact, um, Patmos was about 60 miles away from the church we're going to talk about today, which is called Ephesus, from that town. And so, and in his coaching to the churches, Jesus both encourages them and he corrects them. And, is it, and in his correction, he actually warns them. You know, he tells them he's about to put their lampstand out. Now, a much better way of maybe saying that in our day and age is he's about to sideline them. A more technical way of saying that is he's about to de-church them. So um, even though these warnings were given to very specific churches in that time, they're actually it's actually known by theologians that these were warnings given to all churches for all time and all ages to come. The warnings are transferable to us in modern day. So in these two chapters, you can actually boil down Jesus' warnings into four main attitudes or approaches that in the context of real life, and especially when life doesn't go our way, the way we imagine, um, we can actually find ourselves adopting these in response to that. So here are the four main um, attitudes we're going to be speaking on. It's indifference, uh, 
selfishness, squeezing out from pressure, and rebellion. Um, You see, Jesus cares about his people and about his glory so much, guys, that he is willing to call his people to remain faithful, faithful to him. Even when the world is pulling them away. I mean, even when their responses may actually be understandable by human standards, considering what people are experiencing in real life. And even when every single person in their life stands against them, Jesus still asks people to remain faithful to them, to him. Even when we don't get our happy ever after. So today we're actually going to look at the first attitude um, that we need to avoid, and it's actually called indifference, all right? And we'll explain this. Indifference is really just a lack of interest and concern or even enthusiasm about something. Sometimes we call it going through the motions. Um, here's a funny example of a very indifferent character that Saturday Night Live um, came up with, created, his name is Chad. So check this out. I came as soon as I could. What's the situation on Mars? A solar storm, biggest we've ever seen. It caused significant damage to the colony. And the life support systems are down. They're running out of air, sir. The oxygen is dropping fast. There's a backup O2 circulator outside the habitat. One of them just needs to turn it on. The radiation levels outside are too high. It would be a suicide mission. Sir, one of the colonists has volunteered. He's on box now. So there are still heroes in this world. Hello, who am I speaking to? Chad. Chad? This is Elon Musk. Who? Elon Musk. I'm in charge of the whole Mars colonization project. Oh, congrats. Chad, I want to make sure you understand that you won't survive this mission. Okay. To save your fellow colonists, you'll have to make the ultimate sacrifice. Chad, this is Mitchum with Ground Command. Make your way to the airlock and begin exit procedures. Okay. Chad, aren't you going to say goodbye? Bye. Chad, I'll always cherish what we've had together. Okay. There's something that you should know before you go. I'm pregnant. Oh, congrats. The baby is yours. You're going to be a father, Chad. No, thank you. (laughs) As as a disclaimer, I really want to encourage you not to watch the unedited version of that. That was fun, but but let's be specific on how Jesus corrected um, the church of Ephesus in their indifference in Revelations 2, 2 through 5. It says, I know your works, your labor and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have preserved and endure hardship for the sake of my name. And you have not grown weary. Now, I just want to pause for a moment here before we continue. Um, The Ephesians are really doing some great things, aren't they? I mean, he's encouraging them here. I mean, they're hardworking, disciplined people. They have a solid understanding of what's right or wrong. And they can actually keep the wrong out and do the right. Um, They actually know how to pick out false teachers, which means if they're able to do that, that means they have a really good grip on truth. And the doctrinal understanding of God and his ways. Um, They were even able to endure hardship well. I mean, guys, these are good things. 
I mean, way to go, Church of Ephesus, you know? Um, in fact, maybe you can find yourself in some of these descriptions. And if you can, be encouraged, guys. God is at work in your life. So let's keep reading because, and see what he actually corrects. Because after hearing this list, I actually was very curious when I read this. Like, what's he going to correct in them? And what is he going to correct to the point that he's going to sideline them after doing all these great things? And he says, but I have this against you. All right, here comes the correction. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand. I will sideline you from its place unless you repent. Okay, we have three points we need to cover from this part of the passage. I'm going to say them all and then we're going to actually go into them. And it's they abandoned their love they had originally had for Jesus. Essentially, they grew indifferent towards him. Um, he encourages them to remember their, the intensity of their affection towards him that they had at the beginning of their relationship. And then he actually tells them to repent, which means stop doing what you're doing and do something different and return to a previous way of relating to him with proper affection towards him. So let's talk about um, their indifference towards Christ. Guys, they lost their deep affection for Jesus, even in the midst of doing great things. This is a this is a great church. This church had great leaders, like characters in the Bible you've heard of called Timothy. <laughs> I mean, this this was a great church, and they lost their deep affection for Jesus. Now, many of you may be asking at this point, like, come on, Jesus. They seem to be doing really well. I mean, are you really going to sideline them for a loss of affection towards you? And guess what? The answer is yes, he is. So we actually need to pay attention to this. And at risk of trivializing what Jesus actually means, I want to use an analogy. Now, even though this is an analogy, don't take it too far. I still think it's like what he's saying. So imagine your spouse comes to you one night and they say, it seems like you don't love me anymore. It seems like you've lost a liking or an affection for me. And it is you know, a defensive response, you're sitting there thinking, come on, what do you want from me? And if you're a man, you know, your husband, you might say, don't I provide well enough? You know, aren't the bills paid and the kids taken care of? Haven't I been faithful to you all these years? You know, didn't I sacrifice my dream of becoming a professional baseball player um, to provide for the family? Don't I show you with my actions that I love you? And maybe if you're a wife or a woman, you'd say, uh, didn't I give up my career goals to raise these children and stay home and be a, you know, a, a, a home caregiver? Don't I cook your meals and iron your shirts? You know, don't I show you that I love you with my actions? Similarly to our defensive spouse, the church of Ephesus has some good attributes as well and shows God with their actions that they love him. But Jesus knows their hearts. And guess what? The good news is for us, Jesus is not an insecure spouse, which may be the case in our story. So when he says, you have lost your affection for me, and when he puts us out as a warning to us all, they need to listen. And we need to listen as well. The, it's interesting. The clarity of the Bible, you know, the clarity of the God's word gives is amazing to me at times. 
Um, you know, the Bible is actually very, very clear when you look at it in whole on the priorities that we are to keep while relating to God and following Jesus. In fact, here's what Jesus is calling foul on. He's saying, look, Church of Ephesus, you're not paying attention to the greatest commandments. And these are actually found in Matthew 22, 36 through 40. And these are Jesus' words when he was here on earth. Read them with me. Teacher, which command, he's being asked this, is the law, in the law is the greatest. And he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets depend on these two commands. There's also a really extreme comparing and contrasting of love for God and others versus other good Christian deeds found in 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3. And it says this. This is a preference here for another passage that you're all familiar with. It says, if I speak in human or angelic tongues which is a big deal. I mean, probably lots of different languages, maybe even know the, I don't, I don't know what angelic tongues are, but you, maybe you can speak in spiritual tongues also, but you do not have love. I am but just a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. You know, if I have the gift of prophecy and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, I mean, think about that. The gift of prophecy, God speaks through me, and I have a, such a global understanding and wisdom that I can explain so many things to mankind. But I have, you know, and, and it says, and if I have faith so that I can move mountains, that's incredible as well. But do not have love. It doesn't just say, you know, I need to work on some things. It says, I am nothing. That's a pretty big compare and contrast, isn't it? And then lastly, it says, and if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over even my own body in order to boast, but do not have love, what do I gain by giving everything away? Nothing. I gain nothing. And then this passage actually goes on to describe what love actually looks like in real life and practice. And it starts with the same words that we all know and we use at weddings that says, love is patient, love is kind. Let me be clear. I am by no means saying that OCC has lost its affection for Jesus. What I am saying is look out for this. So you may be asking, all right, so what are we supposed to do about this? And luckily when Jesus gives a correction, he actually gives an anecdote as well. So he tells them how far they have fallen. You know, he tells them just remember that. Remember how far you've fallen. And the only biblical account of what Jesus may be referring to is actually found in Acts 19, 18 through 19. And let me read it to you. It says, and this is the church of Ephesus is talking about. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices. And these are Christians, all right? Disclosing their practices. While many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. You might be thinking, okay, that's great. Well, what had happened was, is the church of Ephesus was actually responding to a prompting of something that happened in their city. You can read about it for yourself, and you actually have to study it to really understand it, but you can read about it yourself. A prompting by God to stop living in two different worlds, okay? Um, to forsake the paganism of their culture. They really were, Ephesus was in, you know, pagan central at that time, and to really... Um, 
forsake the paganism of their culture and of their city um, and their past loves to love only him. So love and affection, when we remember back, what we realize is that love and affections towards Jesus brings a few things. And here's what it brings. It brings true confession, like we're seeing with the Ephesians. I mean, imagine not having to pretend anymore, just being able to approach God with who you actually are. You know, when we truly confess, especially in a way of knowing that we're going to be received by him with love and honor is because of what Jesus did is is we can stop trying to clean up our lives um, in order to come to him, to come to church, to face one another. But we come to Jesus so he can clean up our lives. It's different. Another thing that love and affection toward Jesus brings is a heart for the non-believer. An affection for Jesus really does spur up a desire for others to experience the gospel rather than actually being angry at the world for not being Christian. Now, we still need to be, you know, we still need to call what's wrong, wrong. We cannot change morality to meet our neighbor's desires. But without an affection towards Jesus, we can actually grow indifferent towards them and even see those who don't share our beliefs as the enemy. I mean, think about it. In Luke 15, you can read this. Jesus spent time with tax collectors and sinners. Now, a tax collector, this is, this is a way to understand the Jewish tax collectors. Let's say Russia invades the USA right now. Let's say it's going through state by state. And let's say it comes through California and it takes us over and then it still continues. It kills a bunch of people in the process and it's going through and taking over other states by states and they're now in Arizona. And your neighbor, who's a Californian-American, decides to start collecting money from all other people in your neighborhood to give to the Russian troops so they can continue their battle efforts in Arizona. That's what it was like. I mean, talk about a morally bankrupt individual, an individual who's experienced, you know, the, the being taken over and the bloodshed and then actually goes and collects money from those who've also experienced it to support, forcibly collecting money, to support those who are continuing on the bloodshed. That's what it was like for the Jewish tax collectors who worked for the Roman Empire. I mean, these were horrible people. People were appalled that Jesus would care about such a morally bankrupt, disgusting person. Matter of fact, in their eyes, this person was just worthy of being murdered and burned. But Jesus cared, even about that person. Another issue with a heart for non-believers we need to have is to not only be concerned with just our household and our family. As Christians, it can be really easy to be focused on just raising our kids well and providing them with a great nurturing environment to grow them to be Christ followers while forgetting that there's a whole world we need to reach out to around us. We become intra-focused rather than extra-focused as well. And so we have to learn how to do both. And an affection for Jesus will keep bringing us back to the heart of the, to having a heart for the non-believer. Now, an affection for Jesus also brings the right motives. Um, we obey God out of a mo- motivation not just, now listen to this, not just for what's right or wrong. Rather, if we have the proper affections for Jesus, we obey him out of a motivation of what pleases Jesus and what doesn't please Jesus. 
Do you see the subtle difference there? So, all right, so I want to move into, because then Jesus tells us, like, return and do something different. Remember where you fell from, and then return and do something different. Repent. Our application today will really help us restore or avoid losing our affections for Jesus. Um, Jesus tells the church of Ephesus to really return to the works you had done first. So remember, he told them to repent and do something differently. So essentially, we need to get back to the fundamental sometimes of when we first responded to Jesus in love. Do you remember that moment? Do you remember when you first started following Jesus, if, if you are a follower of Jesus? And the motivation to know him and love him and respond to him, to want to change the affection you had for him. Sometimes we have to return to those moments and those practices in those times to rekindle that. So each one of these applications is really an effort. And I want you to think in this way is to cultivate. Think about cultivating a garden. We're going to cultivate affection for Jesus. We're going to do things that promotes our affection for Jesus. So now I'm going to tell you what I think is helpful that I found that was helpful for me as I was working through preparing for this message. Um, and you can draft off me or you can come up with your own list of how to cultivate affection as well. So, um, and the first thing I kind of started with is we have to sort our motivation. Okay. We really need to spend some time thinking through and really sorting so that we can discover how to answer the two following questions. And one is what stirs your affection for Jesus and the other one is, is what robs your affection for Jesus? You know, things in life stir my affection for Jesus and things in life rob my affections for Jesus. Let me give you some examples and, and I'll give you some tips. As, as I was processing through this, one of the things that became very clear to me is I need to have more margins built into my life to find the right space to actually properly commune, which is spend time with Jesus. That may mean I need to get up earlier. Or it may mean I need to stay up later. Or it may mean I need to take some time between work and getting home to actually have some unrushed, unamped, unbusied, unhurried time to have a quiet time. Or even just to talk to God in prayer, spend some time listening to worship music. Just spend time with Him. Many of you are morning people, so you're going to get up. And if you get up earlier than you have to, man, morning can be just a calm, quiet time of just thinking about God with before you actually have to get on with your day. Some of you are night people and taking some time rather than just filling it with TV, but going outside, something I've been doing lately. And it doesn't even take very long. I just go outside at night and, and I look at the stars or I look at the sky and I just pray and I thank God. I feel the cold there and I smell the whatever the smells are right now. There's this jasmine blooming on my backyard and I smell the jasmine in the cool evening from the warm days. And I just think of God. Um, we also have to find a way to not fill our mind with too much negative content. I mean, I, you have to figure this out for yourself. It could be too much news, you know, too much sports. Sometimes sports gets us amped up and angry, you know, too much TV, you know. Um, and, and, and the goal here is you have to find a way not to just be mad all the time at the world. And finding a way of where you just walk around angry and frustrated that everything is just wrong, you know. And then you put your hope in something outside of God. That could be in government, could be an election. It could even be in the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl, which didn't happen this year. They didn't even make it. Another thing to ask yourself is, who, who do you spend your time with? And does your time actually 
um, you know, feed, cultivate your affection for Jesus or does it rob your affection for Jesus? You know, um, I, I remember I had a cousin once that when we were first learning to walk with Jesus, we'd actually go to this restaurant in Riverside near CBU's campus at the time called Millie's. And we would just sit sometimes and we'd get coffee and french fries and ranch. And we would just talk about what God is doing in our lives. And I remember walking away from those those evening hangouts, just feeling so encouraged and in love with God, wanting to follow on even more so. Another example is um, similar time frame. I was living with some other cousins, and I would, we, me and my cousin would go outside after dinner sometimes, and we would sit on the front porch and we would just talk about what we needed prayer for, and we would just pray for one another. We would just pray to God as two people asking Him for help, and um, and it was such a rewarding time that just cultivated um, so much affection and and me being such a brand new true follower of Jesus at the time who really needed help and needed to gain some traction. Another thing is, have you ever noticed, here's another way to really think about what robs and what cultivates your affection, is have you ever noticed like when you listen to certain kind of music, sometimes it doesn't even matter what the words are, but it touches something in your soul that just, it turns my affection immediately, in some cases, back to God. I don't know what it is. It's almost its almost as if, he, I, I get the same experience when I look at an amazing view in the mountains sometimes, or in the desert, or when I'm having a really great time with good friends who I know care about me. It stirs up this affection in me, and immediately, rather than an affection going towards the music, or the view, or the people, it goes towards Jesus, and I just find myself thanking God for my life. And what it shows me is that I actually love him and he's the highest form of praise in my life. You know, a great song is only something to point me to him. A great view is only something to point him to. Rather than worshiping the created, I find that I want to worship the creator in those moments. And it really stirs my affections towards him. Which leads me to our next point, which is We really need to figure out how to just worship God. Um, There was a time in my life, and what I mean by that is specifically worship music or worshiping God. And um, there's a time in my life when I was actually solely obeying God out of just pure grit and a motivation. And I had this motivation at the time. I really kind of lost the freedom of relating to God with the right affection and love. And I was just following him out of, I must be right with God or I'm useless to him. I think the enemy was impacting my thoughts at the time, and um, and none of this was out of a response for love to him, and it was really grinding me down. I felt drained. I felt tired. I lacked zeal. I lacked the freedom that comes with following God with the right motives, and in his love, I believe that God actually led me to an old 70s Jesus Movement era song written by Keith Green. And he wrote this song based off a quiet time that his wife had had where she's just pouring out her affections to Jesus. And, and she's basically talking about, and you, we're gonna, I'm gonna play the song for you here in a moment. You'll be able to read the lyrics. But she's basically pouring out to him saying, look, I wanna follow you based on the right things. And here's why I wanna follow you. And here's the things I wanna do in following you. So, um, now, don't get too distracted by this is a early 70s era style music so don't get too distracted by it but listen to the words and and i want you to really um see if you can identify with really the heart behind it of i want to make my life a prayer for you so check out this song 
a prayer to you. I want to do what you want me to. No empty words and no white lies. No token prayers, no compromise. I want to shine the light you gave. Through your son, you said to save us from ourselves and our despair. It comforts me to know you're really Not a bad song, right? I mean, I found it helpful, you know, and this is what I'm really saying in this worship session is I've actually found it helpful to really collect a few really good worship songs that both in their style and in their words point you to Jesus and, and point out your affections towards him. And really, I collect those and I play those over and over again as a way to just connect with him. Um, and then next, we need to actually learn how to spend quality time with Jesus. Not just the quick American, I must have a quiet time. Um, I mean, let's think about it, guys. It's actually hard to love who you don't know or spend time with, isn't it? So we need to read his word 
And in fact, if you want something to read, start with Luke 15, where Jesus is sitting with the tax collectors and the sinners. And then he goes on to tell some great parables about just the true gospel, the, the true love of the, you know, the grace that we can receive from Jesus. Um, but we really need to read his word with a desire to hear him. So I'd focus on things that are, that are good news, grace, gospel oriented. Another thing is we need to learn how to cast our cares on him through regular prayer, really bringing our cares to him. Um, we need to start meditating deeply on parts of the Bible that are inspiring to us. One of the best habits that God led me to in the last few years is, is really focusing deeply on certain passages of scripture that I almost want to memorize. Um, and I study those and I think about it and I memorize it and, and God uses it to really stir my heart and the meaning of that, of that, of that passage, I, it, you know, you I dig deep and he really shows me a lot as I dig deep and I end up talking about that more than any other thing that I'm listening to or, or reading or, you know, or books I'm reading, sermons I'm listening to and other things in my quiet time. I end up talking about this one or two little verses that I focus so deeply on because I spent quality time with God on them. And last is we meet, need to make an effort to share your story of faith with those around you who don't know Jesus yet. You'd be really surprised about how much affection for Jesus can be gained by being obedient to sharing your own journey of faith. So in a moment, we're actually going to worship with one last song. And during this song, I want you to test your heart. And see if you need to repent of cold, calculated service to Christ and begin again. There's a few next steps you want to take today. Um, find two worship songs that I can use to praise God while alone in my car this week or alone in my house this week. So find two worship songs you're using to praise God this week. Um, ask a friend for help and how to how to begin a closer relationship with God if you just don't know how. You can ask a friend, you can ask a group leader, find somebody who you know can help you. And then last is pray three times this week, just three specific times. Pray asking God to draw you close to him in affection. Thanks and enjoy the rest of the service. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.